0: Praise God. Praise the Lord, everyone. How many blessed people are in the house this morning? Come on, what about you in the balcony? How many blessed people are in the house this morning? I was glad when they said to me, let's go to the house of the Lord. Turn around and give somebody a high five and tell them I'm blessed. I'm blessed to see you. Blessed to have you in the house of the Lord. So good to be here this morning. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to the book of Exodus chapter 3 and just leave it open there if you would. And I always like to just start off with a little humor, so here it is. There was, a, there was three men. There was a lawyer, there was a doctor, and there was a pastor. And they were all three friends and they were hunters. So they were all hunting together, and they were walking together, and out comes this big buck, and they simultaneously, all three, shot it. So when they get there, they only see one bullet hole. And uh, the lawyer said, well, I think I got it. The doctor said, no, I, I think I shot it. And the pastor said, no, it's and I'm sure I got it. And so they all just started in a real kind of, Heated debate on whose buck this was. Along came the game warden. He heard them kind of fussing at one another. He said, man, what's going on? They said, well, you know, we were just walking, hunting together. And out came this monster buck. And we all three shot. But there's only one bullet hole. And we don't know who it is. He said, well, let me take a look at it. He said, I think I can figure this out for you all. So he goes up and he looks at this book and very confidently he stands back up and he said, it, the pastor shot it. And they said, well, how do you know that? He said, well, because it went in one ear and out the other. That's how us pastors feel sometime, isn't it, Brother Chance? It is such an honor for my wife, Janet, and our daughter, Molly, and one of our members in De Quincey Kyla is here this morning would you give my sweet girls and Kyla so great to have them with me my last night your pastor fed us so well and then I said can we come to the we want to see the church and, and he showed us this beautiful sanctuary and this beautiful house of God and this incredible campus and I tell you what, you guys are really blessed with a beautiful campus, but more than that, you're blessed with tremendous leadership that has a vision for this, this city and this region, and they just treat you like royalty. They're incredible people, so what an honor. Thank you, brother and sister Chance, for allowing my wife, Molly, to be here. Lord bless you. Are you going to preach with us this morning? God bless you. Thank you. You can just be seated. I would like to challenge each and every one of you to go through the Bible this week and find how many times God tells somebody to Go. He tells Abraham to go to a land that I will show you. He tells Noah, go and build an ark. He tells Joshua, go and possess the city. He tells David, go and fight the enemy. He tells Gideon, go and save your people. He tells Nehemiah, go and rebuild the wall. He tells Jeremiah, go and teach my word. All throughout Scripture, one will find where the Lord sends people out. We, we call this our life mission. God has a mission for you. Look at your neighbor and just tell them that, would you? God has a mission for you. No, say it like you mean it this morning. God's got a job for you and I to do on this planet. And God didn't put any of us here to take up space, breathe His air, live on His earth rent free, use up His resources, enjoy a long retirement, and then die. God has a life mission for you. And the problem is, is that most people never discover their life mission. Not even people who are believers. I want to say this as gently as I can. But unfortunately, most believers do absolutely nothing for Jesus Christ outside of the four walls of the church building. Why is that, ladies and gentlemen? I believe the number one reason for that is fear. Fear keeps all of us from becoming what God wants us to become. Now, if you have your Bibles open, I would like for you to pick them up and let's unpack this story starting with Exodus chapter 3 and verse 7. And the Lord says, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. Then go down to verse 10. Come now, therefore, and I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. How do you know when you have a mission From God. You know, because it's not motivated by money. It's not motivated by fame. It's not motivated by popularity. It's motivated by God's love for people. God said, I have seen their misery. I've heard their cries. And I'm concerned about their suffering. If God gives you and I a mission, it's going to involve caring about other people. The greatest thing that God told us is he said, number one, it's all about loving God. And number two, it's all about loving others. But Moses was afraid about the mission. And his first fear was the fear of inadequacy. In other words, he said, I don't think that, you know, I can measure up to what God wants me to do. It's just not in me. You know, I just don't have it. I don't have all of what I need. I I don't have enough. I don't have the right background. I don't have the right last name. It's the fear of inadequacy. You know, in other words, well, how could God use me? And that's exactly how Moses felt and he dealt with it. Let's look at verse 11. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Now, typically, when God says, I've got something for you to do, most of the time it seems bigger than what you can do by yourself. And immediately we start looking at our inadequacies and our background and our weaknesses. I want you to listen close this morning. It did not matter how Moses felt. It didn't matter whether he felt inadequate or not. He was inadequate. And so are we. But that doesn't matter. What matters is is that God has chosen you. And if God has chosen you, it doesn't matter how you feel. God's answer, brothers and sisters, to the fear of inadequacy is very short, simple, and sweet. It's five words. I will be with you. Can I say it again? He said, Moses, I will be with you. And that is the answer to our inadequacies. Because one plus God equals a majority. I would like for them to put this on the screen and I would hope that you would remember this all day. And here it is. If God is near, then lose your fear. Oh, I thought I was going to have some people preach with me this morning. If God is near, then lose your fear because yes, we are inadequate. But when you get God on your side, you're no longer inadequate. If God before us, then who can be against us? Come on, somebody, give God some praise in this house. The second fear that holds us back is the fear of embarrassment. Look at verse 13, if you would. Then Moses said to God, Indeed, When I come to the children of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they say to me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? So Moses asked God, Lord, who shall I say sent me? And God said, here's my name. I am that I am. And you begin to look at that and you ask, well, how can that relieve my fears? Well, real quickly, what what does it mean that I am that I am? Here's what it means. Number one, there is a God. He didn't say I was or I'm hoping to be. He said I am. In other words, I am what you need when you need it. If you need a doctor, I am that. If you need a lawyer, I am that. If you need a bridge over troubled waters, I am that. I am whatever you need when you need it. The second thing that means is He is eternal. The good news, brothers and sisters, is that God's not here today and then hightails it out tomorrow. You can bring Him whatever trouble, whatever need, whatever problem, and God is going to stand right there with you. He's not a fair-weather God. He is a God that is eternal. He has always been and He will always be. Mm. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, y'all don't get me fired up this morning. Mm. Mm. I'm going to tell you, like I've told others, I may be white on the outside, but I got a little black on the inside. (laughs) Oh, Lord, have mercy. Here's the third thing that it means. It means He's always the truth. God don't tell you something one day and then come back and say, oh, I made a mistake. Your God is not a God that He can even lie. Your God can't lie. If He's told you your kids are coming back and He's given you a promise, then friend of mine, you can bank on it. You can stand on the Word of God because your God is not a man that He should lie. Here's what I am that I am means. The last thing it means is this. He never changes. You know what? None of us are asking permission to get older. We're just all getting older, whether we like it or not. Everything around us is changing. Technology is changing. The government is changing. The world is changing. And they don't ask for our permission. It just keeps changing. But the good news is, brothers and sisters, the character of God changes not. He changes not. And God is the only thing. Say the only thing. God is the only thing in your life that never changes. Can I keep preaching? In fact, the more that you know God, the less you're going to be afraid. Why is that? Because God is the antidote to fear. I've looked at this. I've done a little bit of research. Did you know there's 365 fear knots in the Bible? That's one for every day. And if you really get to looking down to the root of fear, what is the root of fear? What, what is the root of it? And, and here's what I think. I may be wrong, but here's what I think. I think the root of fear is loss. Because we fear a loss. Can I go off script for a minute? Have you noticed that you look harder? Let me say it this way. Here's what I found out. I found out we don't enjoy getting $100 as much as we hate losing $100. What what do you mean by that? In other words, if you lost $100, you'll spend two hours to try to find it. But you'll spend $100 in a minute. You know why? Because we hate a loss. And that is the origin of fear. And Moses had tremendous loss in his life. And now he's afraid that he's fixing to lose again. And this is the next fear that Moses faced, is the fear of rejection. Look at it in Exodus 4 and 1. Here it is. Then Moses answered and said, But suppose they will not believe me, Or listen to my voice. Suppose they say, the Lord has not appeared to you. Now this fear of rejection is what the Bible calls the fear of man. In Proverbs it says the fear of man is a snare. In other words, the fear of man is a trap. It means that if you live your life always worried about being approved by people, you're already enslaved. Amen. Moses says, They're not going to accept me. And what is God's answer to Moses' fear of rejection? Exodus 4 and 2. So the Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? And he said, A rod. Now, what does this staff represent? Number one, his staff is a symbol of his identity. In other words, his staff, it represents that Moses is a shepherd. And that staff is there to either pull the sheep or poke the sheep. That's his identity. He's a shepherd. The second thing that this staff represents is it is a symbol of his income. Now, back in that day, they did not have banks and there were no stock markets and bonds and none of that. Your entire wealth was tied up in cattle and sheep and oxen and goats. If you had a lot of that, you were considered wealthy. So this staff is a symbol of his income. The third thing it is a symbol of is his influence. You either you either take that staff and you move sheep from point A to point B by either pulling them or poking them. And so God says, Moses, I want you to take what you have in your hand. I want you to take your identity. Your influence and your income. And I want you to give it to me. So here's Moses with his staff in his hand. And he says, I want you to take it and give it to me. Now, how many of you have ever seen the movie The Ten Commandments? Well, you bunch of sinners. I'm just joking. Well, if, you, if you've seen the movie, The Ten Commandments, Moses was played by Charleston Heston. And you know that Moses lays down the staff, right? And it becomes a snake. But it's just a dead stick. And all of a sudden, it becomes alive. And then God says, pick it up. And Moses, which was played by Charleston Heston, leans in and picks it up and it becomes a stick again. And you say, well, what's that all about? Well, God never does a miracle to show off. He's not saying, hey, let me just show you something that I pulled out of one of my magic tricks. I learned this little trick and I want to show you. Isn't this cool? God never does that. There's always a meaning behind the miracle. Here's what it is. God is saying, Moses, if you will give me what is in your hand, your identity, your income and your influence, if you will lay it down, then I'll make it come alive. I've got to pause here for just a minute. God wants to do some miraculous things in this house. He wants to do some miraculous things with your identity, with your income, and with your influence. But every time, brothers and sisters, you pick it up or you hang on to it, it's just going to be a dead stick. It only comes alive when you're willing to let it go. You, you say, I'm not following you. Well, I can't go into this because of time. But there, there, there's, a, there's, a, there's a Bible passage where there's 5,000 men, not including women and children, And they look around and all they see is five loaves and two fishes. And in their hands, it's only going to feed maybe at best five people. But when they were willing to get it out of their hands and put it in his hands, then suddenly it comes alive and it's able to feed a multitude. I don't know who I'm talking to this morning, but I can tell you, the Holy Spirit has told me some of you, you're wondering why things aren't working for you. And you're trying to hang on to your influence. And you're trying to hang on to your income. And you're trying to hang on to your identity. And it's just dead when it's in your hand. But when you can understand, if I'll put this in His hand, then my income's going to start working. And miracles are going to start taking place in my finances. And my influence. It's going to increase. And I'm going to start ministering to people like, oh, my Lord. Somebody stand up and give God some praise in this house. Turn to three people and tell them, put it in his hands. Put it in his hands. You've hung on to it long enough. Mm. You can be seated. When you put a golf club into my hands, it's dangerous. When you put a golf club into Tiger Woods' hands, it brings him about $83 million. Put a basketball in my hand, and I'll miss most of my shots. Put that same basketball in LeBron James' hands, And it's pretty awesome to watch. It's all depending on whose hands you put it in. Some of you are keeping some things in your hand this morning and you're wondering, why is it not working? Why hasn't my influence increased? Why isn't my income coming back being blessed? It's like i got holes in my pocket. You know why? Because you're trying to hold on to it. And you're trying to make it work. And it's going to stay dead as long as you got it. But if you'll throw it down, I'm here to tell you it'll come back to you pressed down, shaken together. And running over. See, that was a great lesson. That was a great lesson for Moses because I never realized this, but from that point on, it's not referred to as Moses' staff. It's always called the rod of God. Hmm. Because God takes a little simple stick and he uses it as the symbol of his power. And it's the rod of God that Moses holds up. God says, Moses, hold up that rod. And when he holds it up, the Red Sea departs. Mm. And then they're out there in the wilderness and they're complaining because they don't have anything to drink. And God said, take that rod and smoke that rock. And when you do, an artesian whale is going to come out of it. Because that's how God works. I said, that's how God works. I said, that's how God works, ladies and gentlemen. See, God wants to use your income. He wants to use your identity and your influence for your mission. And God says, I'll make it come alive. And I will do things for you that you never imagined. Now, here's why I want to talk to this church about what is in my heart. If you really get to looking at it, it's all about surrender. God asked Moses to take something that was his identity, his influence, his income, and surrender it and and get this point. He asked him to lay it down. And until he was willing to lay it down, he could never pick it back up and it become alive. As long as he held on to it, it was just a dead stick. When you really get to looking at the Scripture, what I see is it wasn't until Abraham was willing to lay down a hundred year promise... When he was willing to lay him down on the altar. Read what happens after that. God says with blessings I will bless you. Abraham, he said, because you was willing to lay it down, I'm gonna bless your seed. Your seed's gonna be like the stars of the sky and the sand of the seashore. But until he was willing to lay it down, it was just a natural boy. But when he laid it down, he came up a supernatural blessing. But you gotta be willing to lay it down. I hope you understand what I'm about to say. But Jesus in the flesh was a man and he was limited as man. He could only be in one place at one time. I want you to understand I am a one God believer, but just hear me just a minute. Don't misconstrue what I'm saying. But God asked His only begotten Son to lay Himself down. And until Jesus was willing to lay Himself down, He could only be at one place at one time. But when He was willing to lay Himself down, He came back in resurrection. And on the day of Pentecost, what he said is, Now I was with you, but now I can be in you. And wherever you go... Whether it's Monroe, whether it's the continent of Africa, whether it's Australia. But wherever you go, I'm going to go. Where you are, I'm in there with you. But until He was willing to lay it down, He could not be inside of you. But He is inside of you because He was willing to lay it down. And now you are empowered by the power of the Holy Spirit to lay hands on the sick and See them recover. Come on, somebody give God a shout of praise in and this Oh, thank you, Jesus. I, I'm hurrying. I'm hastening to a close. But can I tell you what he's looking for now? Is he's looking for people who will lay their life in his hands. Give me just a couple of more minutes. Do you know that in the New Testament the word Christians only used three times, but it's, the, the word disciple is used over two hundred and sixty nine times in the New Testament. As Christians, sometimes what we want to know is, with the chance I hope this is okay. Sometimes what we want to know is, what is the minimum to be saved? I need a few minutes. And and here's what we do. I've been guilty as well. And I've gotten up and I said, look here, here's the minimum to be saved. There's the line. And then I've had people say, okay, I've crossed the line. I've got the minimum to be saved. And guess what? We have taught... Basically, that once you get the minimum, you're saved. But if you look in this scripture, Jesus nowhere in the New Testament gives a minimum. He looks at Matthew and Matthew was one of the most hated men in society. He was hated by the Jews because he worked for the Romans and he was hated by the Romans because he was working for the he was a Jew. He was a very hated man as a tax collector. The only friends he had was other tax collectors and sinners. But when he was collecting taxes, Jesus walks up to this rank center and says, come and follow me. Notice he doesn't give him a list of do's and don'ts. He doesn't even tell him how to be saved. He just says, come and follow me and we'll get this figured out. And if you look at the end of Matthew's life, he's a martyr for Jesus Christ. And here's what I'm afraid of. I'm afraid we've said this is the line, and we've crossed the line, and we say now we're saved. And we wear our little, what would Jesus do, little bracelet. And we got a couple bumper stickers that says, follow me to Christian life. And all of that is good. But I'm going to tell you something. That is not what the Lord is wanting from any of us. Can can I keep preaching just a minute? I'm going to be done. Come up here, baby, please. This is my sweet wife. Y'all, let me ask you this question. We've been married almost 27 years. Almost 28. Thank you. Somebody asked me, how long have you been married? I always just tell them, not long enough. Now, what if, sis, when I came to ask Janet to marry me, what if I came up and I said, Janet, now tell me the bare minimum that i got to do to marry you? <laughs> Janet, all I want to know is the bare minimum... That I got to do to marry you. You know what she's telling me right now? I don't think so. I don't think so. You know what we've done? Tell me the bare minimum. Let me just show up on Sunday and give my tithe if I feel like it, if I'm not on vacation. If I'm not out of town, if it's not raining on a Sunday morning, if it's 72 degrees and i got a bonus and everything's good, then I might. Tell me the bare minimum that i got to do. You never see it in the New Testament. You know what He wants? All the way from Abraham all the way to His own son, He's looking for somebody that says, I'm willing to lay it all down. Here's my identity. Lord, here's my income. Here's my influence. And you know what? We're afraid. What are you afraid of, ladies and gentlemen? Because if you're willing to lay it down when he puts it in his hand it always comes supernatural it always becomes miraculous and the very life the very life that some of you are wanting you're afraid of because you're asking what is it going to take for me to do this that's the wrong question the wrong question is do you want to live a natural life and just hold on to a dead stick or do you want to live a supernatural life and lay it down and And let it become the rod of God. That's the question, ladies and gentlemen. Would you stand with me this morning? Can I be so bold to tell you that yes, the Holy Spirit woke me up at 328 in the Hampton Garden Inn this morning. And said, ask my people, what do they want? Do they want to keep holding on to what they think is theirs? Are they willing to lay it down? And watch me bless them as they come in and bless them as they go out. Are they so concerned about doing the bare minimum? Or they want to become my disciples and be willing to, hey, I don't need that. If God don't want me to have it, then I don't need it. I want to be willing to lay it down. I want to see the supernatural in my life if you want that throw your hands up and give God praise all over this house come on lift up your voice and give God praise all over this house and I end with this I end with this. Thank you so much for the awesome privilege to come and be in service with you this morning. But I end with this. When you have the rod of God in your life, you're not really afraid of what your critics are saying. And you're not really afraid of rejection. And you're not even really afraid of being embarrassed because you're being used by God. And God gets no pleasure out of embarrassing you. He wants to show His great glory in every one of your lives. If you're willing, listen, I'm going to challenge you this morning. I'm not, I'm not even near done, but I'm going to challenge this church this morning. God is saying to Christian life, Some of you have been living at this line long enough. And yes, I believe in a line. Yes, I believe it takes certain things to be saved. But I also believe when I see Peter, I see Peter starts off, he leaves the fishing boats. Then it takes a while before he even knows who God is. He doesn't even get the revelation as soon as he starts following Him. He doesn't know God. But he keeps walking. And eventually he says, Who who do you say that I am? Some say you're Elias. Some say you're Jeremiah. Some say you're one of the prophets. But who do you say I am? And Peter steps up and he says, Thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. Now, guess what? He keeps walking. He keeps walking. And you know what he does? He gets confused. He gets scared. And he just blurts out on the Mount of Transfiguration, he's a loud mouth because he don't know what else to do. So he opens his mouth when he should have been silent. He's a loud mouth. Then here's the next thing he does. He gets afraid and he cuts off the ear. And then he goes and he denies Jesus three times. And then he wept bitterly, the Bible says. But notice this, he keeps walking. And because of God's faithfulness and because of what God keeps revealing to Peter, he stands up on the day of Pentecost and he preaches the Acts 2 conversion message. And historians say that at the end of Peter's life, he said, don't hang me right side up. Historians say, he said, hang me upside down because I'm not even worthy to die like my Lord. That wasn't, ladies and gentlemen, what's the bare minimum. That was, I'm willing to go all the way. I want a supernatural life. I want the power of Almighty God working in me. If that's you, would you just come bring a friend right quick. Grab your husband, your wife, your friend, your neighbor. And come with with them to the front right now. And I just want you right now in this house uh, to say, Lord, here I am. I surrender, God. This is not about the bare minimum. This is not about me just being saved by 18 inches. This is about my identity, my income, and my influence being placed in your hands. Come on, my brothers and sisters. Come on from wherever you are, front to back, in the balcony. I am challenging this church. I am challenging this church today. So put it in His hands. Before me, behind me. always beside me, no shadow, no valley, where you won't find me, no I am not afraid.